This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. We can give you somebody who's the right background and education and interest, etc. But you can walk into a room and everybody's from your background and level of education and same religious and social values. We can give you people so that you kiss fewer frogs. But you have to do the work. The only real algorithm is your own brain. Welcome to U-Turns. This is the podcast where we talk about change in all areas of our life, including relationships. I am Lisa Oz. And I'm Jill Hersig. You know, one of the things, Lisa, that we have in common, many things in common, number one, our vertically challenged yeah, status, just we always talk that, about that, um, is that we are both in long, long, long-term relationships. It's going to make it sound like we're 80 years old. We're not 80 years old, but... I have been with my husband, Robert, for 33 years. I thought you were with, oh, you've been married for 25. We've been married for almost 25. We've been together for 33 years, and we've known each other since we were six years old. So it's just been, it's like the bulk of my life. Robert has been part of my life. How long, and you and Mehmet are celebrating? We've what? been married for 33 years, um, together for 35 yeah. We're we're like a gazillion in dog age. <laughs> yeah. Very long relationships. Very, very long relationships. But what one of the things we talk about, just girl talk, is that there are plenty of U-turns and kind of weird curveballs that you get thrown, even in a long-term relationship. Um, kind of doesn't matter. U-turns are you know, love is a huge bending force in our lives. Mehmet always jokes that we've been married like four times because they're four, he's been married to four different women because I, I was like, yeah, you had one young woman and one really old woman. <laughs> <laughs> one couple middle, middle-aged women. 
Anyway, we are joined today with someone who can help us navigate those ups and downs in our relationships. Um, Helen Fisher, the biological anthropologist and author of six international bestsellers, um, is going to help us define what a successful relationship actually looks like. Welcome, Helen. I'm delighted. I'm <laughs> delighted to be with you. Thank By you. the way, you know, um, you know, I and my colleagues put people into brain scanners and study romantic love. And one of our studies was people who were in long-term happy marriages. And when I heard the two of you talking about that, and we discovered that you can remain in love with somebody long-term, not just loving, but in love with them long-term. you got to pick the right person, and you got to know how to argue, and you got to, you know, uh, um, get through these um, different kinds of uh, changes in partnership. I love that when you said that, Lisa, because I think that that's quite true. You can have very different relationships with somebody, and that's good. I mean, you're constantly innovating and growing and and finding new ways to be together, and it's, you know, it can work. Waves but you got to know masks. something about the brain. <laughs> My husband gets bored very easily, so I have lots of disguises. <laughs> good for you. Keep at it. So what, what does make a successful relationship? It's not, success isn't just the 33, 50, 60-year marriage. Yeah. Success, you have a different definition of what makes a yeah. successful relationship. It doesn't have to be forever. Um, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, uh, but over 50% of Americans do marry for life. So we're always hearing about all the ones that divorce, but we're not hearing about the ones that remain together and are actually in successful marriages. And in fact, I recently did a study of 1,100 married people, long-term married, all married more than 20 years, and I asked them a lot of questions. Uh, but one of the questions was, would you remarry the person you're currently married to? And 81% said yes. So it is possible. Okay. Um, but so, anyway... And, so, and you feel certain that they weren't saying that just because, listen, it's the devil I know. <laughs> I'm used to this person. Um, we did Not it uh, cynical, through the internet, but. and all the studies show that you are more honest on the internet because you're anonymous and there's no payoffs for winning or losing. So... Uh, um, and you people feel like can they, lie, and people can lie to themselves. So. Not so much but, asking if they lied, but if part of it was, I'm comfortable with this person, I know them, I know their their good and bad sides, and, and knowledge and predictability is better than going out there and, and maybe facing somebody somebody who's a complete mystery. Well, I think that there's that. That's the psychological. But when we put them into the brain scanner, mm. we saw activity in brain regions linked directly with romantic love, as well as brain regions linked with attachment. So um, you're talking about the long-term sort of attachment, which a great many married people uh, express. But the bottom line is, in these people we put in the machine, they had maintained, they had told us in the lab that they were in love, not just loving, but in love with this person, which is distinctly different, and indeed we found activity in brain regions linked directly with being in love. But anyway, you asked, uh, Lisa, about, you know, what makes a long-term happy marriage, and you know, psychologists will say all kinds of things, and I agree with all of them. I mean, don't show contempt, don't threaten divorce, do new things together, et cetera, et cetera. But this is what the brain says. We put these people who are in long-term happy marriages into the brain scanner, and we found activity in three brain regions 
linked with happiness. One brain region was uh, was um, uh, a brain region linked with the mirror neurons, linked with empathy, showing empathy towards the person. The second is brain regions linked with controlling your own stress and your own emotions. And the third is a brain region linked with positive illusions, the ability to overlook what you don't <laughs> like about the person and focus on what you do. So what I'm trying to add is the neuroscience um, addition to what the psychologists tell you. And there are certainly our brain regions. You got to be empathetic, got to control your own emotions and your own stress, and you got to overlook what you don't like. Mm-hmm. Focus on what you do. Fascinating. Because your reality really is determined by what you focus on. Right? Exactly. What, what you're seeing in this room, what you think is this room, is what you're focusing in not on not all the other things that are going on in the corners. Uh, absolutely. And I often wonder how, I mean, I'm sort of, it's a great human trait to be able to get into other people's heads and see what they're thinking, you know, uh, yeah. and, and responding appropriately to that. Uh, uh, it also kind of explains when you meet a married couple and you think, how can say, that guy, put up with that woman. <laughs> she is the most annoying person I've ever met. This is nails on a chalkboard. I can't even stand to be with her through dinner. And he's beaming at her and puts his arm around her and helps her into the car. And you think, yeah. no, 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 he loves her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the what illusion? What did, we, what did you call it? Positive illusions. Right. And, Positive illusions. Um, it's so interesting. I, it was Tolstoy's in the in, beginning of Anna Karenina. He said that all... Happy marriages are. Do you remember this one? All happy, happy marriages are the same, and all bad marriages are different. I think it's the reverse. I think all happy marriages. You don't know, just like you just said with that couple, where you couldn't stand the woman, but in fact, they have all kinds of intricate uh, connections to each other that we don't know, don't see, and it's good for them. So, you know, uh, well, part of it's the main thing we don't see is their sex life, right? So exactly. sex could be a big part of it. And I do think that, you know, I, I, I've i I've long maintained that we've evolved three distinctly different brain systems for mating and reproduction. One is the sex drive. Second is feelings of intense romantic love. And the third is feelings of deep attachment. And I do think in long-term marriages, you should keep all three of those brain systems cooking. So continually do have sex with the person. <laughs> it does, you know, good... Uh, any stimulation of the genitals that's that's welcome uh, drives up the dopamine system in the brain and can help sustain feelings of intense romantic love. And with um, orgasm, there's a real flood of oxytocin, and that's associated with feelings of deep attachment. So sex drive can help to stimulate those other two brain systems, romantic love and attachment. So if you want to get along with somebody, keep the sex alive. Take Don't it do on. novel things together because that drives yeah. up the dopamine system and can sustain feelings of romantic love. And stay in touch. Hold hands, walk arm in arm, learn to sleep, at least start sleeping in the person's arms at night. Mm. Any kind of touch can sustain feelings of the oxytocin system. So the more we know about the brain, we know all kinds of sort of natural mechanisms to to find actually a person, the right person and then sustain the relationship. You know, we, we have had conversations kind of marveling at uh, couples we know who admit that they're in sort of a sexless marriage. I mean, yeah. maybe yeah. they don't tell you this right away, but you kind of find out. And they've somehow made themselves okay with it. I think how, d- how does that work? Yeah. I think there's different personality styles. You know, I study personality, the biology of personality. And uh, we've evolved four very broad styles of thinking and behaving linked with the dopamine, serotonin, testosterone, and estrogen systems. And those people who are very uh, expressive of the traits in the serotonin system 
tend to have less of a sex drive and sex is less important to them in the partnership. These people tend to be traditional, conventional, follow the rules, respect authority, concrete rather than theoretical thinkers, tend to be more religious and uh, very dutiful. And uh, sex is not a great priority for them. So, I mean, that's we're one of the... We're not that type, Joe. No. <laughs> no, we're not that type. And, and you know, it would be bad that type if, because... if I was married to that type. Like, that, that were would... you? No, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, you if were. I had been. I mean, yeah. it just, it seems like... Y- so do types need to find similar types? Um, in, um, high dopamine people, risk-taking, novelty-seeking, curious, creative, spontaneous, energetic people tend to be drawn to people like themselves. High serotonin people, traditional, conventional, following the rules, etc., tend to be drawn to people like those themselves. So in those two cases, similarity attracts. But high testosterone people tend to be drawn to high estrogen and vice versa. You mentioned evolution. And for millennia, for most of human history, we didn't get to pick on Match.com. So I'm just wondering, when you were talking about the different types, can you make a relationship where you're not compatible actually satisfying? Yeah, I think you can. Uh, But by the way, I mean, um, we're never always completely compatible with anybody. I mean, we do a good 40 to 60 percent of our traits come from our biology, but another 40 to 60% come from our childhood. And, you know, you can be very high dopamine, but be scared of jumping off bridges. I don't want to jump off bridges, <laughs> you know, and if my partner wants to jump off bridges, he can do without me. Um, uh, but, um, um, yes, these, these brain systems evolved, and I think that once you get to know who your partner is and how they're built and what they need, you can do all kinds of workarounds, even around the parts that are incompatible, definitely. Okay. When we come back, we're going to do a deeper dive into love with Helen Fisher. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes, and Stafford and Mutual Weave for him, style and comfort for all, even big and tall, plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. 
Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. We are having a conversation about love with Dr. Helen Fisher, and we've just been talking about evolution. and And I was pointing out that for for a lot of the population, arranged marriages are a reality and have for been for millennia. But you have a different perspective on that. I want to get into that a little bit. Great. Well, I'm an anthropologist, and of course, I spend a lot of time uh, studying hunting and gathering societies because that's where all of our evolved talents and techniques and drives evolved. And in hunting and gathering societies, they did not have arranged marriages. Interesting. Uh, nobody had any property, uh, and and that wouldn't have worked. Uh, we lived in little hunting and gathering groups, and women were just as economically and socially and sexually powerful as men. They went off every morning or a few mornings a week to gather their fruits and vegetables. They came home with 60 to 80% of the evening meal, a lot. Women uh, could express their sexuality, and they could choose partners that they liked. We lived in egalitarian societies where the double-income family was the rule, and women and men uh, chose partners for love. Did we pair bond, or did oh, they yeah. have more like a harem Situation. Oh, it was pair bonding. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, very few uh, harems uh, in hunting and gathering societies because how could a man provide for a whole pile of women and what were all those extra men going to do except <laughs> sneak in out of the bushes and, you know, sleep with Big the girls trouble. they liked, um, et cetera. So in hunting and gathering societies, the only way you can get uh, several women to follow you is if you're very charismatic. But they don't own any property. They keep on moving. So you're not going to marry the man for his 50 fruit trees because he's going to be gone tomorrow, you know, with the fruit trees. So bottom line is uh, we have probably been evolved pair bonding, forming a pair bond uh, over 4.4 million years ago. And along with the evolution of forming pair bonds to rear our young, we evolved these very strong brain systems for romantic love and deep attachment to a long-term partner. Only uh, 3% of mammals do pair up to rear their young. 97% do not. And we are one of those special species, if you want to call us special, uh, who, who form pair bonds long-term. And along with that came all kinds of of beliefs about romance and attachment. Yeah, in hunting and gathering societies, they've got myths and legends and songs and dance, dances, and you know people get terribly jealous and they divorce. A good um, sounds you know, like an amazing is, soap opera, like a nighttime soap. <laughs> well, we're going back to that today. What what really changed for humanity is when we settled down on the farm, and then suddenly women lost their ancient roles as gatherers. They were stuck on the farm. Men's roles became much more powerful. 
powerful and important. They had to move the trees, uh, move the rocks, fell the trees, plow the land, and go off to local markets and come home with the equivalent of money. So you see a real skew towards patriarchy and uh, in, in for the last 10,000 years. What's so wonderful about today is we're shedding that farming lifestyle, women are moving back into the job market. You know, people will always ask me, is technology changing love? We can get into that. But the bottom line is the really powerful modern trend is not technology. It's women piling into the job market in cultures around the world. And with that, we're moving forward towards women's economic, social, sexual power. You can see that today in front of our eyes. Uh, the rise again of the double-income family. Um, you no longer have to stay in a very bad partnership. You can divorce and find somebody new who's more suitable to you. And the millennials have gotten it. I'm very impressed with millennials. I study them through Match.com. They're very ambitious. They don't want to catch feelings and, and get into a long-term partnership t- until they're positive they know who this person is. We're seeing the extension of of um, what I call the pre-commitment stage of relationships. We're getting to know these people so that by the time we walk down the aisle, we know who we got, we know we want who we got, we think we can keep who we've got. And well, I think marriages may become more stable. I, I, I've definitely noted and been been kind of buoyed by your sense that I think you call it slow love this yes, kind of slow yes. extended courtship oh I'm so glad you gonna, you know about that I do and yeah. and um and it's it's a very sort of optimistic way of looking at courtship now yeah but I it's mean, based on facts though I mean yes. you know I and, am an optimistic person but it's totally anecdotal yeah but I've noticed that for some people slow love really is no love and I'm not just talking about, um, you know, kind of women at midlife where I'm at. You know, I have a dear friend and her two daughters have are in, both incredibly smart, accomplished, super attractive, zero romantic lives. They are in middle to end of college now. No serious boyfriends. No sex so far as, anyway, their mom knows. And, and this mom knows a lot about their lives. It, it seems as though for some people, um, the kind of slow, let's test this out, let me kind of go out in groups, let me be casual, maybe friends with benefits before I commit to you. For some people, it's just slowing to a crawl and to nothing. Well, you're talking about people who are still in college. Mm-hmm. And uh, people still in college really want to get their career together. I mean, I've got data on 35,000 Americans through Match.com. We don't poll the Match members. We poll the American public. So it's a representative sample based on the U.S. Census. And college kids don't want to get hooked up long term. Mm-hmm. They really don't. And I would guess that if those girls went to their mother at age 18, 19, 20, whatever they are, and said, I want to get married uh, next month, the mother would say, you're too young. We Definitely are in a totally <laughs> different period of time. In many respects, I, I regard that as very healthy, and and um, they're probably having sex now and then and not telling their mother now. Since when did anybody tell their mother about their one-night stands? <laughs> hormones are hormones. I mean, but but uh, uh, bottom line is th- this is what the young are doing, this long, long pre-commitment, slow love stage. All, both of those girls will fall in love. It's a basic brain system. It's a drive. This is a survival mechanism. I mean, we put, as I said, people in brain scanners, and the brain circuitry for romantic love 
uh, lies very near the brain circuitry for thirst and hunger. Thirst and hunger aren't going to go away. Romantic love isn't going to go away, even if we live a million years from now. And those girls in college, by the time they're 27, they'll both be married. But those girls in college are going to age, and I, I have several friends who focused on their careers, postponed commitment, had multiple boyfriends who were lovely, men who were either had gone to college with them. As they approached 40 and in their late 30s and were getting desperate, not even so much to have a partner but to have a child, and their options had limited dramatically because the men who were available who were 38 were dating 25-year-olds. They weren't interested in the old model. So you kind of shut yourself out of the market. Three of these girls I know personally settled for guys that they never would have dated in college because that was what was available to them and they really wanted to have kids. So what do you do about that phenomenon? Well, I mean, I'm not advocating slow love. That's what I end up, (laughs) that's what I see in the data and that's what I'm reporting. I'm a reporter. So is that a healthy evolutionary response to that situation where you just say to yourself, look, this is where I'm at. I, I want a kid. I found a guy. I'm... I'm moving on with this. They may fall in love down the road. I mean, I, 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 I'm not for. I, I'm not in the should business. I'm in the business of data. I, I do think that it gets more and more dangerous as you get older. Uh, but some people settle in their twenties because they want to have the child right then, too. And maybe we all settle in some ways at all kinds of ages. I'll tell you who doesn't settle. I have one questionnaire on Match.com. Two of my favorite questions were, would you make a long-term partnership with somebody who had everything you were looking for, but you were not in love with that person? And another question was, would you make a long-term commitment to somebody who had everything you were looking for, but you did not find that person sexually attractive? The least likely to compromise are women over 60. (laughs) And, you know, I'm not surprised. I mean, I'm over 60, and I've met men, one man I met in Arizona, and he had everything I was looking for, but I I wasn't in love with him, and I did not find him sexually appealing. Would I move to Arizona from the middle of Manhattan to, to go out with somebody I was not in love with and did not find sexually attractive? No. The young will compromise, and the young compromise— But your life was too built by that time, and you were too happy with it. And and so are most women over 60. Right. It's built by then. Yeah. Uh, uh, But the young need to compromise. They need to get on to having a family. So you'll see the young moving across the country to a place they don't know, uh, building whole new friendships, etc. I would suggest—and I don't know any data for or against it—that the young are more likely to settle than older people. You you said that you weren't in love with this gentleman in Arizona. Yeah. And you're a, a neurobiologist and, yeah. and anthropologist, and you study the chemistry of what what it means to be in love, like what, what's going on hormonally in our bodies. Yeah. But Jill and I were talking about this earlier, and you had a question about the spiritual. Jill, Jill my resident atheist, had a question about the spiritual <laughs> I know. element so, of love. Yes, I, I am an atheist, but... Um, and I, I can't even say I'm spiritual but not religious. I just think I'm, I wear lead shoes and clomp along You on the don't earth. wear lead shoes and clomp. <laughs> I'm exactly like you. And I get tremendous joy out of knowing the universe, of knowing human relations. I mean, I think there's just great joy and power and connection with every living thing without 
having to believe in a God. All I can say so, is I show up in the world very enthusiastically. Yeah. I think that's there it. You go. I think that's end of story. But my question for you was, you know, you know the biology of love in in such intimate specifics. Do you feel like with your understanding of the chemistry and the biology of it, that there is a spiritual component to love, that there is something that transcends? Because, of course, that is what we feel. That's mm-hmm. what we feel when when our brains are lighting up like that. Um, I, You'd have to define spirituality for me uh, to really understand that question. Mm. Uh, but I do think that, you know, um, religiosity has a genetic component. And it's in the serotonin system in the brain. And some people can much more easily uh, believe in, in, in a god. Uh, other people uh, are less predisposed to doing that. But when you're madly in love, I mean, you can believe anything. I mean, these positive illusions are just... You think you can fly. You know, but I guess I would question exactly what you mean by spirituality. I guess I'm just wondering, you know, put aside the the great love songs and the the Hollywood movies. I think when you're deeply in love with someone, you feel like there's something in your bond that is more powerful than either one of you. I think that's true because it's, I mean, okay, so back to these three brain systems, sex drive, feelings of intense romantic love, and feelings of deep attachment. When you're madly in love with somebody, you are pumping up the dopamine system. And with that comes uh, uh, positive illusions, overlooking the negative. Uh, All of a sudden, you regard this person as special. Everything about them is special. Their house is special. The street they live uh, on is special. Their car is different from every other car in the parking lot. Everything is special. You feel elation when things are going well. Mood swings into horrible despair when things are going poorly. Intense energy. You can walk all night and talk till dawn. Butterflies in the stomach. uh, Dry mouth. Wobbly knees when you're around them. (laughs) Self-conscious. Possessive of them craving to kiss and hug with them, uh, and also obsessive thinking about them, intense motivation to win them, and a real craving for emotional union with them. Sure, you'd like to go to bed with them, but what you really want is to have them say, I love you, you know, be mine. So is that spiritual? You can certainly convert that into a spiritual feeling about somebody yeah. if that's the way your Sounds brain like works. Sounds like a very strong belief system anyway. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. But so, we all feel the intense romance. I mean, everywhere in the world, people pine for love, they live for love, they kill for love, and they die for love. It's one of the most powerful brain systems the human animal has ever evolved. And it evolved for an important reason, to enable you to focus your mating energy on just one individual and start the mating process and send your DNA into tomorrow. I mean, you know, uh, uh, thirst and hunger keep you alive today. Romantic love and attachment drive your DNA into tomorrow and make you enable you to survive. So they're powerful things, and if you want people converted into a spiritual experience, so be it. We've been talking about love and marriage. When we come back, we're going to talk about dating. Let's talk about breakups, too. <laughs> breakups, too. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb. 
tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes, and Stafford and Mutual Weave for him, style and comfort for all, even big and tall, plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's full regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty System for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. We were just talking about marriage and love with Dr. Helen Fisher. I want to talk about that early stage that gets us to to marriage eventually, possibly, maybe, sometimes not. Um, how have the rules of dating changed with technology and birth control and Me Too, the Me Too movement? Where, what are we dealing with now that we haven't had to deal with or hadn't hadn't dealt with in the past? Such a big question. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Let's see where to begin. Well, you know, technology cannot change love. Love is a brain system. Romantic love is a brain system. Attachment is a brain system. These are going to be with us as long as we survive as a species. These are brain systems like the fear system or the anger system or the disgust system. It's a real brain system. It's not going to change. But the way we are courting is dramatically changing. Um, you know, we, I mean, in my day, they called you on the telephone. Well, these days they text you, they email you. you they swipe go, you. They swipe <laughs> you. They, they, go, they swipe you. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and uh, one of the things that, you know, as I say, I work with Match, but one of the, um, uh, what they find now actually is that uh, uh, when we ask at Match, where, where did you meet your last first date? Uh, uh, 40% of singles say on the internet. Only 25% say uh, through a friend, and uh, uh, less than 
8% say at church uh, uh, or uh, in a bar. So, Well, you can't say at work anymore. No, although <laughs> they do, um, we do ask about that. <laughs> and there's no question about it that people do meet people. People meet people who are around, and you really get to know people at work. Now, of course, we're seeing a great um, entrepreneurial rise, so more and more people are working at home. And, you know, telecommuting, et cetera. So uh, that's changing too. And what we, I mean, we're marrying so much later that uh, uh, by the time you're even in your early 30s and 40s anyway, um, you know everybody in your social circle. You know everybody at work. And so people are turning to the dating sites to, uh, to court. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm too old to stand in a bar and wait for the perfect boy to come by. It's not <laughs> going to happen to Helen Fisher. But there I've actually are, heard that people in their 20s find it creepy when somebody approaches them at a party or in a bar. No kidding. It is not a—it it doesn't feel like a clean um, interaction. They would much rather have it facilitated— through technology. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the um, recent findings comes from the out of the University of Chicago is that people who uh, dated and met their partner on the internet are less likely to divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can only guess why. At first, I thought, mm, I don't know. It's only one study. It doesn't. Why would it make any difference whether you met in a in a bar or on a boat or in the Museum of Natural History? I mean, why would it make any difference? But my hypothesis is that uh, you know you really get to know some things about somebody on the internet before you even meet them. So there's a, probably a lot of pre-selection. Uh, you know, oh, he he's a golfer. I can't stand golf. I don't want to spend every Saturday with him gone. I'm going to go look for another. But the biggest problem, first of all, there's something that a couple things that people don't understand about the internet. One of them is that it's a new technology, and you have to learn how to use it. And one of the problems is that the human brain gets swamped. It's called cognitive overload. You've probably heard that term. And you know, after a certain number, you meet a certain number of people, you don't even. You, you don't go out with anybody. So one of the things that I say to people who are going to work um, meet on the Internet is after you've met nine people, the sweet spot in the brain is apparently between five and nine. And um, after you've met nine people, stop. Stop meeting people and get to know one or more better. Uh, psychologists clearly say that the more you get to know somebody, the more you like them and the more you... Uh, uh, are going to think that that person is for you. So you got to, it's like it any new me of trying on perfumes at a department store. Uh, that's they a say, good like, you get nose blindness. Nose blindness. Right. That's a very good. <laughs> and the other thing is that what people don't understand is that the only real algorithm is your own brain. At Match, at any one of these other sites, we can give you somebody who's the right background and education and interest, et cetera. But you can walk into a room and everybody's from your background and level of education and same religious and social values. The only real algorithm is right above your neck, your own brain. We can give you people so that you kiss fewer frogs, but you have to do the work. You've got to get out there and look at the people. So the two things that I say is, A, stop after nine people, and B, think of reasons to say yes. Mm-hmm. We get so picky. Oh, he has brown shoes. I, I have somebody with black shoes. That's nonsense. You've got to get to know somebody. Just, you know, think of reasons to say yes instead of no. When you're going through a dramatic change in your love life, you're falling in love, you're falling out of love, you're breaking up, someone's betrayed you. What's going on in your brain and how can you, how can you cope with it? 
We have put over 100 people into this brain scanner, as I've mentioned, and, and a good n- number of them were people who had been rejected in love. And in fact, um, the brain really has a fire going on. Um, the dopamine system is going wild uh, because you're still madly in love with the person. Attachment uh, regions are becoming act are remaining active. You still feel deeply attached to this person. Uh, the three brain regions become active, linked with craving and obsessive uh, thought, and a brain region becomes active that is linked with physical pain. It's exactly the same brain region that becomes active when you have a toothache. So so you are in real trauma when you are breaking up with somebody. And I've long uh, felt that um, it can turn into a real addiction, uh, an obsession with somebody. So how do you manage that? I, I would use some of the basic things of, of, uh, of addiction. In other words, get rid of the cards and letters, don't write, don't call, uh, don't show up, uh, get a lot of exercise, uh, be around old friends, hug and kiss them, dries up the oxytocin system. Because you're uh, you're missing that oxytocin that you've gotten from your relationship yes. contact. Okay. Um, your daily habits, uh, the daily hugging and kissing and stroking and talking, gives drives up the and sustains that oxytocin system. And when that person is no longer there, um, the oxytocin will probably plummet. Uh, serotonin will probably plummet. Uh, you can get into a state of uh, complete panic. And so what you've got to do is soothe yourself. One of the problems is that women talk about it too much. It is good to talk about it. Uh, in fact, there's a whole brain region linked with figuring out your gains and your losses. So mm. when you have been rejected in love, the brain is naturally trying to figure out, what have I gained? What have I learned? What have I lost? How do I get that back? Let's find out. Did I lose the dog? Did I lose the house? Did I lose the children? Did I lose the neighbors? Did I lose my job? Uh, did I lose my economic stability? What did I gain? Did I gain some knowledge? Did I gain the dog and the house and the children? And can I now move on from a, a difficult relationship? So the brain is very well built for... Um, coming to grips with this. One of the problems that women have is that they talk, after a while they talk too much about it and what they're really doing is just raising the ghost and re-traumatizing themselves. With me one time with a man, I'd been just really just in the dumps and quite rejected and fine. And my girlfriends were very nice to be saying, well, how are you feeling today? And I finally ended up saying, you know, let's not talk about him. Let's talk about this thing that I read. Just get out, get them out of your head. There's somebody camping in your head. Men express their depression differently. They kill themselves more often, but uh, they also drive too fast, drink too much, hole up and watch TV, uh, you know, persecute themselves in other ways. So we did find that um, time does heal. We have proven that. Uh, the farther you get away from that moment of of uh, relationship collapse, the less activity there is in brain regions linked with attachment. But anyway, in in your other question about you know the, the how do you manage real change, whether it's a breakup or whether it's really just moving to another city or uh, moving to a new house or getting a new job. Um, what you really want to do is drive up the dopamine system in the brain. It's dopamine that gives you that energy, that focus, that motivation, uh, that optimism. And so I'm not a nutritionist, but this is apparently some of the things you could eat and do to sustain the dopamine system, not in a romantic relationship, although I would add that to it, but in any kind of transitional time. Um, apparently, uh, these are the things that drive up dopamine in the brain. Watermelon. <laughs> green tea, uh, ripe bananas, not too ripe, uh, apples, 
uh, spinach, broccoli, and cauliflower, uh, ginseng, all seem to help uh, burst, uh, you know, uh, trigger huh. dopamine in the brain. And in terms of behavioral patterns, um, uh, exercise drives up the dopamine system, gives you that feeling of energy and uh, relaxation, meditation. Uh, apparently is is very good for balancing all of the neurotransmitters and and hormones and controlling your weight so that's less sugar less carbs so, so all of getting healthy actually is just a is a dopamine trigger yes isn't that interesting i only discovered that today it is interesting and, and and we have heard that for a lot of people dealing with change a first step is saying i'm going to try and get healthier i'm going to yeah. try and take care of myself mm-hmm. and it's interesting maybe there is that a, a, a really a human instinct, a preservation instinct that isn't just, hey, I want to control and, and get a grip on, on my health and my body, but more, I need to cure this in myself. Isn't that interesting? And I would add one thing that I do, um, and it's probably, I had recently heard about, I mean, I've always known about uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, but I didn't realize I was doing it. But what I'll do when I think, oh my God, I can't do this. Helen, you, you just can't do this. And I say, wait a minute. And I start repeating to myself over and over, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this over and over and over. And it really helps. Whether that sort of psychological boost drives up the dopamine, I don't know. But you should study that. I should study it. <laughs> Somebody just put yourself in a brain scanner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, really? Oh, I would imagine you would find, uh, you always find something in a brain scanner. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, thank you so much. It's been a very elucidating conversation. Really enjoyed having you. Thank you. Thank you very much, both of you. Thank you so much, Helen, and to our listeners. To get more from the wise and wonderful Helen Fisher, just go to theanatomyoflove.com. That's theanatomyoflove.com. And reach out to us at U-Turns Podcast. We want to hear from you. Tell us your stories of transformation and relationship change. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you feeling overwhelmed by anxiety, struggling to find restful sleep, or plagued by a restless inability to focus? It's time to break free from the chains of mental health challenges and discover a path to healthy living. 
Welcome to Amen University, founded by renowned psychiatrist and brain health expert, Dr. Daniel Amen. Dr. Amen, alongside a team of esteemed doctors and experts in their fields, understands the struggles you're facing and are here to offer solutions. From debilitating anxiety to sleepless nights filled with worry, our courses are meticulously crafted to target these specific challenges head on. Join us on a journey of transformation led by Dr. Amen and a roster of top-tier professionals. Say goodbye to the constant battle with your mind and embrace a future filled with hope and possibility. Visit our website today to explore our courses and start your journey towards a brighter tomorrow. Use code BRAIN10 and get 10% off. That's code BRAIN10 and get 10% off your first purchase. Amen University, because your mental health matters. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.